Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Episode 1. Meet the Narcissist. When you think of the word narcissist, what's the first thing you think? Normally, without being sexist, you think male, white, middle-aged, possibly attractive, you know, the list goes on. I'd like to introduce you to a self-confessed narcissist. He's a yellow Lamborghini-driving, high-profile barrister who doesn't mind talking about himself. You need a big ego to do battle in court. You need a big ego to win at sport. You need a big ego to take on bullies and kick their ass. And you need a big ego to pursue your interests in life and achieve things. Now, right about now, you might want to hit that big stop button on your podcast player. But I reckon you should wait, because there's a bunch of stories in this podcast that are pretty unbelievable. Stories about taking down triads and crims, protecting murderers, saving people's lives and knowing where some of the bodies are buried. Actually, let's let Peter Larvik, the Lambo lawyer, explain. Well, mate, because everybody I've met so far who has heard even one of these stories has been urging me and hassling me to sit down and write a book about it. And I'm pretty sure you're interested in the story. I think people would generally be interested because... My story's got a bit of everything for everybody's taste and everybody's interest. It's got true crime, it's got sport, it's got overcoming serious illness, dealing with cancer, it's got sex, and sex always sells, and it's got a whole heap of other stuff. So it covers the whole cross-section of society interests that are out there. Okay, so Peter's almost blown all the good bits. Yes, there are some stories that you really might not find that believable. We're going to talk to people that love Peter, including Peter himself, and we'll talk to some people who despise him. Actually, that's probably using the wrong word. Some people hate Peter. They used to be his friends, but now they are enemies. One of Peter's good mates is someone anyone that listens to podcasts would know of. His name is Headley Thomas. Headley is currently on cloud nine after his Teacher's Pet podcast and the Teacher's Trial podcast helped shed light and convict Chris Dawson for the murder of his wife, Lynn. Headley is not only mates with Peter, Peter actually helped him with the Teacher's Pet podcast. And Headley has his own view of why you should listen to this one. People should listen because Peter Larvek is a fascinating character 
I like him, and at times I find him infuriating. Other people who listen to this might find him fascinating and really likable, or they may hate on him, but he's got a, he's got a fascinating history to share. Good on you, Headley. High praise indeed. Once I spoke to a few Sydney mates about this new project that I was about to start work on, they all knew about the Lambo Lawyer. They'd seen him on TV. Mate, that's my freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and it's a pushback against censorship. They'd read the story about his number plates. Leg opener. A sexy car with apparently a sexy plate. They'd seen him cruising manly in his bright yellow Lamborghini. It would seem the Lambo lawyer is pretty hard to miss. I first connected with Peter thanks to a call from a mate and podcast boss. He'd met Peter and his good mate Bobby in Sydney for a coffee. When I spoke to my mate, he was like, wow, this guy's story's full on. I'm not sure what you guys can do with it. And to be honest, that made me a little nervous, but we jumped in anyway. I made contact with Peter. Well, in fact, I couldn't make contact with Peter because he doesn't do emails or mobile phones or social media. I mean, his mobile doesn't take pictures. There's no Snapchat or TikTok. He can make calls and take calls sometimes. I have trouble operating my TV remote control. I rely on people like Bobby or my chamber secretary or clerk. I don't even know how to send texts. I know how to receive them. Mm -hmm. And I always rely on voice-to-voice communication. Yeah. What I've noticed in, in our chats, everything is handwritten. When, I, when I'm doing a jury trial and we come to the end of the trial and I've got to give the jury a, a speech, when I did that on trial trial, my closing speech to the jury in that trial went for eight hours eight hours and I wrote down every single word I was going to tell them with my handwriting. I'll come back to the notes Peter writes but I can vouch for the fact they are meticulous. Like a real barrister nothing can get through to the keeper with the Lambo lawyer. In the meantime let's head back to the first time I met Peter. When I drove back to Sydney the next day I'm getting close to Manly Cars were honking their horns when they saw my Lamborghini in the brakes. I want you to first picture in your head going to meet a barrister, a distinguished 75-year-old barrister. Now, here's what I reckon you've just imagined. Suit, tie, maybe a little bit of hair colour, carrying a briefcase, really well put together. That's not what I got when I walked into a cafe in Brisbane's new farm. Yeah, I, 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 come, I come across as arrogant. I am arrogant and I admit that. To say Peter wasn't what I expected is a massive understatement. He was in sweatpants and a long-sleeved black jumper. On the front of the jumper, on the left-hand side, was a stain, like someone had dropped food all over the jumper, like a cream bun full of icing. Instead of having a briefcase... He had one of those disposable Aldi cloth bags that was dirty that had a whole bunch of Peter's press clippings in it. At this point, I wasn't sure this guy was legit. Was this some sort of gag my mate was playing on me? Or was Peter really a Lamborghini driving barrister that was worth at least a couple of million bucks? You know that old adage, don't judge a book by the cover? Well, I judged. 
Anyway, let's get back to Peter. Peter had flown up with his mate Bobby, who's an accountant and manager, and has done some pretty big deals over the years. Peter was here to meet me, and was also going to visit his good mate Headley Thomas. Headley and Peter were mates from Hong Kong, when Peter was there as a Crown Prosecutor, putting away triads, and then a few years later, defending triads. The triads are pretty ruthless. They make the Italian mafia look like choir boys by comparison. Um, when I when I initially went to Hong Kong, not long after I arrived, I was part of a prosecution team that was tasked to bring down a loan shark syndicate of triads who'd set up loan sharking operations. What they did, they raised money by using dodgy letters of credit and... Uh, dodgy shell companies and they managed to defraud the Hong Kong banks of millions of dollars using these techniques and the the money that they defrauded the banks from they then loaned out on the street and at exorbitant rates 60% which is a little high and they loaned money to gamblers in Macau guys who'd lost a lot of money in, in gambling or whatever or needed money they'd lend them money 60% and it was pretty stringent conditions because they demanded payment regularly if anyone defaulted on payment they'd send thugs round to their business to smash up the factory break windows, damage equipment, or if it was a residential property, they'd squirt superglue into the keyholes so that people couldn't get access. So this went on for quite a while, and things came to a head when money was owed by a, a businessman who refused to pay, and he absconded and left for Transkei in South Africa to escape the debt. So they went after his brother, and they said, you've got to pay the money, that's what your brother owes us. He said, no, fuck off, I'm not paying. That's his debt, not mine. And they said, well, sorry, mates, now your debt, you've got to pay. He refused. They sent goons around to smash up his factory and cause damage. He still wouldn't pay them. So one night they had thugs waiting for him in the car park. And when he went to get into his car, they beat him to death with iron bars. So that's when a strike force was set up with Hong Kong detectives about 20 detectives were assigned to the case because there was now murder involved. About half a dozen prosecutors were assigned, one of who was me, and we took them on. And over a period of about a year to 18 months, we got most of them. We got the ringleaders, the lieutenant, and almost all of them, we managed to lock them up. And what was interesting after that all happened, after we put them all away, Police intelligence informed us that they discovered that while all these cases were running, this triad gang had put out a contract on all the cops, all the detectives and all the prosecutors. So I had a contract out on me for a hit. And the only reason the contract wasn't carried out, they'd hired a hitman from mainland China and before he was able to travel to Hong Kong, to fulfil a contract and do the job. He was killed in a gunfight with mainland cops and I heard also that he took about six cops with him before he died. So that's how ruthless the triads are. Peter Lavak was born in Prague, Czechoslovakia, on the 28th of April 1946, just after the end of the Second World War. 
He was a normal kid doing normal things. However, you have to remember that in 1948, the Communist Party, with the backing of the Soviet Union, took complete control of the country. Knowing what's going on in the world right now, you can only imagine how hard this would have been for his mum and his dad, his grandparents and his younger brother of two years. But Peter does have some happy memories of growing up in Czech. Yeah, mum and dad, relationship terrific. Grandparents, terrific. We used to visit them all the time. They lived out in the country. Grandfather had a little farm there and I love visiting there. He took me for walks in the forest to look for mushrooms. Czechoslovakia is landlocked. It's uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, during the war, it was occupied by the Nazis, which was pretty bad. And then after the war, when the Nazis were defeated, the Russians came in and they were even worse. I remember specifically our escape from Czechoslovakia with the aid of people smugglers. Um, what happened during the war, Dad was um, arrested by the Gestapo and interrogated for several days. They suspected that he's involved in the uh, underground movement, the resistance against the Nazis. He was arrested. He was also suspected of an involvement with the wife of a high-ranking German officer. So he was hauled in for questioning by the Gestapo and that wasn't very pleasant for him. That went on for several days and that marked him quite significantly. Mm. Then later after the Nazis were defeated and kicked out, the Russians came in and took over the country with the blessing of the West, the Americans and the Brits. And in a lot of ways, the Russians turned out to be worse than the Nazis. Dad was again arrested by the Russian secret police, who were the precursors of the KGB. And he was arrested because he was a professional, a lawyer, and uh, the Russian regime at that time perceived intellectuals and professionals to be a threat to the regime. So dad was again hauled in for interrogation uh, at the hands of Russian secret police. And it's not like an interrogation by our cops who are taking a record of interview it was pretty heavy. And after he was finally released, mum and dad decided it's time to get the hell out of here. So Peter's dad was a lawyer, the upper class, you could say, but at the time was treated by the communists as a criminal. After Peter's dad is locked up and tortured, it's decided that things are not safe for Peter and his brother. And so the family decide to get the hell out. They hired people smugglers. Uh, we decided to divide us up into two. Mum and dad went first. They crossed in, over to the they crossed the border into Austria. I remember mum telling me that when they were going across, they were driven across the border in a hay wagon and they hid under a pile of hay and manure on this wagon. And mum told me that while they, when they were crossing the border, border guards were prodding bonnets into the hay, checking for refugees. And mum told me that one of the bonnets missed a face by merely centimetres. Oh so they were very lucky to get across. After they crossed, they then, uh, the people smugglers took my grandparents, uh, myself and my little brother across with a party of other refugees. Okay. So there's probably half a dozen uh, people smugglers who are professionals. They paid a lot of money. They were heavily armed because people were getting killed and shot who were trying to escape. Oh, we were in a lot of danger. And I remember us going across a whole lot of through forests, across open fields, through wheat fields, along dirt roads. As we came along 
a dirt road. It was very early morning and a Russian border guard spotted us and he came roaring up on a motorcycle and the guy in charge of our party told us all to lie down in the high grass to avoid detection but he'd spotted us and he came riding right up to where we were on his motorcycle and the guy who was in head of our party he stood up uh, pointed a revolver and shot him point blank right in the face i'll never forget that how, how do you reckon that's affected you going through life uh I don't know, I think it's made me tougher. Uh, Nietzsche, the philosopher, said that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think that made me stronger. Yeah, it made me realise how precious life is, how ephemeral it is, how easily and quickly it can end. Peter and his family get on a boat to Australia, the land down under, the lucky country. He remembers the early days, moving to a foreign country, not speaking English, with no friends, and just his small family. It was all very new and pretty scary, actually. Uh, our first landlords were total assholes. They used to give us a really hard time about what we could do, what we couldn't do in the rented premises. That was pretty tough. And it was hard making friends, not knowing the language. Mm. Yeah, That's got to be really difficult for your dad. You've said it before. Yeah. But your dad is a, you know, is a professional. He's yeah. a, he's a yeah. lawyer. Yeah. Like probably in hierarchical sense in yeah. Czechoslovakia, he, yeah. he's top of the pile, right? Top of the pile, top of the food chain. And now he's relegated to working as a manual labourer. So that had a massive impact on him. That's when all the drinking started. He started drinking quite heavily and um, he used to beat up mum. I remember me and my brother crying in the lounge room where we were sharing a fold-down bed and we could hear mum and dad in the bedroom and we could hear the sound of thumpings and striking and mum screaming and crying and sobbing as the old man laid into her. That was pretty horrifying for both me and my younger brother. And he used to beat me with a strap, open hand, fist, same with my brother. And he beat the family dog mercilessly, which I thought was a bit over the top. I want to stop here for a second. Now, I'm no psychologist, but you can imagine in those formative teenage years, hearing that you're shit, that you won't amount to anything, get beaten up, watching your mum and your dog and your brother get beaten up. It has to shape you in some way. I think this might be the starting point of the way Peter is. And throughout this podcast, you'll hear his friends and some of his enemies talk about the dichotomy that is Peter Larvac. One part narcissist, one part good bloke. But now, back to Peter as a 14-year-old, living in a new country with a drunken, abusive dad, a mum just trying to survive, and being heavily bullied at school. How's your self-worth at that stage? Oh, absolutely zero. I had a massive inferiority complex growing up, right up till the age of 15. He treated me like a worthless piece of shit, and that's how I grew up, right up to the age of 15, believing that I was a worthless piece of shit because of the way the old man treated me and the rest of the family. And that changed, though, didn't it? That, yeah, the bullying shaped my whole life. And when I, when I turned 15... I started lifting weights and I, I must have good genetics. I put on a lot of muscle very quickly and the next time the old man went to hit me, um, 
I knocked him out with a beautiful left hook. He was out cold before he hit the ground. And the happiest memory of my old man is seeing him lying on the floor, unconscious. And uh, that moment changed my entire life. That was the first time I realised I discovered the awesome power of physical fitness and physical strength and that shaped me for the rest of my life and ever since then I've had zero tolerance of any kind of bullying, bullies, bullying of any kind and I've always stood up to bullies and kicked their asses. After that incident with your dad, how's your relationship with him? Oh, zero. I've never forgiven him for the way he treated mum, me, my brother, even the dog and... Um, Quite literally, I hated him. And when he died at the age of 79, I was working in Hong Kong at the time and I, I came home because I knew he was dying from emphysema and I wanted to spend a bit of time with him before he died. But he died at home while I was at a movie somewhere and then I went to see him in the, the morgue at the funeral home and they pulled his body out of the fridge and I felt zero emotion. I felt no sadness, nothing. When I saw his body, it was, I wasn't even sad. Was your mum still with us at that stage? Yeah, yeah, mum, mum. I'm amazed their marriage lasted as long as it did. But when Dad died, uh, she blossomed. Her, her life, she got a whole new lease of life after that. She turned into a totally different woman, a happy woman. It's the first time in her life I saw her happy. Peter's relationships are going to play a massive part in this podcast. He's been married three times. He's had three kids. Two of them are dead. One of them doesn't talk to him anymore. He also has a bunch of mates that don't talk to him. But they will talk to us. They'll tell us what they think of Peter and why they don't get on anymore. In direct contrast to Peter and his narcissistic ways, when we first sat down with him, I said we wouldn't do this podcast unless we could get both sides of the Lambo lawyer's story. There's no point in a podcast that just pisses in his pocket for eight episodes. And Peter came through. He produced a list of 30 people with phone numbers and the reasons they hate him. Everything from the mate that no longer talks to him because he stole his girlfriend, a fellow lawyer who didn't agree with the way Peter handled a case, and the bloke that grew up with Peter as a classmate who took offence to something lots of people took offence to. Some number plates. We decided to give that bloke a call and have a chat about why he hates the Lambo lawyer. He didn't want to talk to us. That's not exactly true. He was prepared to talk to us and gave us lots of good dirt and some feelings on Peter, but then a few days later sent an email rescinding that permission to use any of his audio in this podcast. The reason? I think he was afraid that if he said bad shit about Peter, Peter might sue him. And Peter's a barrister that doesn't mind an argument. No worries. The list of people who don't like Peter is long, and I've no doubt someone will spill the beans on what they think of the Lambo lawyer in at least the next few episodes. If you live in Sydney and you're around Manly, 
you probably might have seen Peter's Lamborghini. It's yellow, canary yellow. Subtle, right? It's not just the bright yellow half a million dollar machine cruising down Ocean Promenade that attracts attention. It's what Peter's number plates used to say that also caught people's attention. And I'll let Peter explain what those number plates said. A word of warning, some people might find this offensive, but to be honest, those people probably stopped listening five minutes ago. I'd had the car for a little while and uh, I was sitting in a coffee shop one day with a couple of mates and we were trying to figure out what personalised plates to put on the car and uh, we're thinking about stuff like Top Gun, Iceman, Maverick, stuff like that which was all pretty lame and then one of my mates who owns this coffee shop and he doesn't want to be named, he's worried about cancel culture, he um, suggested L-G-O-P-N-R and I said what does that mean? He said leg opener. I said oh and he said that would be a good tribute to your reputation as a player and I thought yeah that's, that's a good idea and basically the reason we picked that one was to take the piss out of um, all the PC mob and the woke weirdos and the crazy Karens and the stupid snowflakes. That's the reason we picked that number plate and it worked. Welcome back. Criminal lawyer Peter is used to turning heads in his canary yellow Lamborghini, but his cheeky number plate has landed him in court. He says it's just a bit of fun and most people don't get it anyway. It wasn't just the number plates that made the news. It was the fact that Peter decided to defend those number plates and take New South Wales Transport to court. More on that in a future episode. But before we leave you in this episode, let's find out about that yellow Lamborghini or the leg opener, as Peter called it. The beast. Tell me about the car. What sort of car is it? Okay, it's a Lamborghini Hurricane. What's it worth? Uh, half a mil. Half a million bucks? Yeah, yeah. So do you pay cash for that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't owe any money on a Lamborghini? I, I pay cash for everything, even properties I've bought. So it's worth 500k. It's a lot of money for a car, right? Um, It's worth every penny. When did you buy it? Uh, About four or five years ago. I decided to get back into car racing. Why did you buy a 500 grand Lambo? To race. It was a much better car than the Ferrari. The Ferrari was good, but it was only a V8, top speed 280. The Lambo Hurricane is a V10 with 650 horsepower and a top speed of 350. It's yellow. Yellow and black. It's got a black roof. Why did you Why did you go for the yellow one? Okay, I, I really didn't have a choice. I've got a good mate named um, Ross Pendergast, who's a race car driver and a dealer. He deals in these sort of cars. And I'd been on his back for several years to find me a Lamborghini Gallardo, which is an earlier model than the Hurricane. And I wanted a Spider with a removable roof. And they're pretty rare, he just couldn't get one. And one day I went around to his showroom and and just by chance there was a Lamborghini um, Aventador sitting there outside his office and a Lamborghini Hurricane immediately below it but behind it. They're both yellow and black. The Aventador is a bit bigger. It's a V12 with a bit more power and a bit more speed. 
but the Hurricane is better for racing. It's a bit smaller and it's more manoeuvrable and it's much better for cornering. So I looked at the Hurricane and I thought, wow, that's a nice car. I asked him what the owner wanted. He was buying, selling it on behalf of someone else. It was brand new. It only had 4,000 on the clock. So I said to him, look, mate, I'm very interested in this, but you have to bring it around to my flat in Manly. So I've got a very steep drive and a very tiny garage. If it gets up the drive all right and fits in the garage, you ought to deal. So he drove it to Manly. It went up the drive okay without scraping the bottom and it got in the garage okay and I could just barely open the door and squeeze myself out. So that was the deal breaker if it fit into my garage and got up the drive. So that's what clinched the deal. This car is a very large part of the story. It not only cost Peter half a mil, it's cost him some friends. It got him in the paper a few times and on TV and it saw him in court. All of that in the next episodes of The Lambo Lawyer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.